Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, my guest is Ray Edwards of The Ray Edwards Show. And if you don't know who that is, you can check him out at rayedwards.com and you'll find the episode of his podcast that I was on. We sat down and, and did an interview swap. He interviewed me and I interviewed him. Ray is a copywriter and a marketer and a consultant and a podcaster and had experience in radio. In this episode, we wax nostalgic about the early days of podcasting, the current state of podcasting a little bit, and then we move on right into productivity and what it is, what it means to him and me, and some tips and tricks in terms of how to write a whole week's worth of blog posts all at once. But first, I wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Capture Apps. Capture Apps are the makers of Capture Audio and Capture Notes. And both those apps are a great way to make note-taking smarter than ever. If you're like me and you're somewhat audio-oriented, I say that because you're listening to a podcast right now as opposed to reading a book, then you probably are somebody who whips out your iPhone or probably should start doing that and taking notes there. And no, I'm not talking about writing down text notes. I'm talking about hitting record and recording a lecture or a speaker or even just your own personal notes. You could record your classes or your meetings. And while you're recording, you can mark important items quickly and easily. It's also a universal iOS app, which means it'll run on your iPhone, your iPod Touch, the iPad Mini, and the iPad Air. I love the idea of being able to, while recording, doing a simple tap and just quickly marking significant points with audio markers called flags. And you can even mark them with different types of flags, whether it's urgent or listen to this again or research. Another great feature is the fact that the audio that you record will sync across devices via Dropbox. And what's cool is then the markings and the changes and flags and all that will sync as well across those iOS devices. Also, you can add typed notes to your recordings while you're doing playback. I went and grabbed this app, and I think you should try it out as well. 
if you're looking for something that's going to be able to record audio in lectures and meetings, mark specific points with flags and sync between multiple devices with Dropbox, and then you can easily share those recordings and add text notes, then you definitely need to try Capture Audio. To try it out, go to captureapps.com slash to do. That's captureapps.com slash T-O-D-O. Well, this week, it's taken a long time, but Ray Edwards and I have finally connected. Welcome to the show, Ray. Oh, thank you, Eric. It's a privilege to be talking to you. Now, I say it's been a long time. Both of us have had to have patience with each other and figure out, all right, how do we, how do we schedule this? We, both, we, we actually had this idea of dueling, hey, I want you on my show. Oh, yeah, well, I want you on my show. And, and we just decided, you know what, let's do it. And then things fell through, life happened. And that's okay. That's, that is what happens. But uh, finally, you're here. And so I, I don't often do this, but I think you probably are a better person to explain, you know, who are you and what do you do that people would maybe know you from on the internet or in your business and et cetera? Oh, my gosh. The, uh, the dreaded question. <laughs> if you can do that. Who, Ray, who are you? <laughs> uh, let me let me give you my one sentence answer to that. I um, I'm best known as a copywriter and communications strategist, and what that means is I write marketing copy and consult with people about selling their services or their products online. And I've had the privilege of working for some really well known people like uh, Tony Robbins and uh, the guys who created the Chicken Soup for the Soul Empire, Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen. And uh, if you remember a guy named Robert Allen who wrote the Nothing Down real estate book back in the 80s, he's also one of my clients. And I've worked with a lot of other uh, fairly well-known people and companies. And so that's uh, probably what I'm best known for on the Internet. Uh, Until about a year ago, I guess, well, a little over a year, 78 weeks ago, I started a little thing called a podcast. (laughs) And uh, that has done uh, amazing things for my business, actually. I started it not not mainly for that purpose, but just because I used to be in the radio business. I did that for about 30 years, and I had this bug to get back on the radio, but I didn't want to get back in that business. And I heard this guy named Mike Hyatt who was doing a podcast, and he talked about what got him started podcasting was another guy named Cliff Ravenscraft. So I started listening to both those podcasts, and that's how I discovered you. And so... The three of you are responsible for this mess. I'll let them take more of the blame, but thank you. But here's the thing. You had like 30 years of radio experience. Yeah, I started when I was 14 years old. I was uh, I was in school, of course, and I had a buddy who had a part-time job, and he had a part-time job at the radio station. And the first thing that happened was he completely disillusioned me because I didn't realize that Casey Kasem did not show up at the radio station every weekend to do the countdown show. And I found out that he actually was delivered on a record, an LP, <laughs> that was a, kind of a, an illusion shattered for me. But I got over it, and, I, I, and he, so he told me, I have this job where I just play these, the countdown show, and they pay me. And I thought, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard of. So went to the radio station, took some persistence, but I sat in the lobby every afternoon after school until finally the guy who ran this little local radio station in Tennessee said, look, if I give you a job, will you stop bugging me? And I said, absolutely. And that's how I got my first job in radio. Awesome. Your persistence paid off. It did. 
say you were there for 30 years. What kind of what was the catalyst for you leaving the radio industry? Well, I started as a disc jockey and I figured out pretty quickly that the people who had the nicest cars in the parking lot were not the DJs, they were the actually the salespeople and the management guys. So I moved into that area of the business and became a general manager in a group vice president of a radio group. And I I did really well. I had a a really successful career in radio, but it became as the industry was deregulated and it was more run by investment bankers than it was by radio people. A lot of the fun began to drain out of it. And then along along about 2000 or so, we really started to see some impact from MP3 players and internet radio and satellite radio. I mean, broadcast.com came along and it just started changing the landscape. And in fact, I was in charge of the uh, agenda for the biggest radio seminar in North America, the country radio seminar. And for three years in a row, I tried to get on the agenda, the discussion of how we were going to respond as an industry to MP3 players and satellite radio and, and internet radio. And the third time I brought it up, I, I almost it wasn't quite a shouting match, but some of the other people on the agenda committee for that seminar almost violently shouted me down and said, look, these are all just fads. This is not going to have a lasting impact on our industry. And at that moment, Eric, I knew, oh, this game is over mm. and it's time for me to do something new. So I paid uh, what at the time was a considerable sum of money for me to go to a workshop in the office of a guy named Seth Godin in New York. And there was about 12 people there. It was one of these deals that he, I don't know if he still does this or not, but he used to do this thing for me. He made a donation to a charity and uh, you got to come and for a one day workshop in his office. And everybody there had a different business model that they were operating inside of. And they were asking for opinions and ideas from Seth. And I asked him, I said, if you were in the radio business, what would you be doing now? And he said, I'd be, figuring out what I was going to do when I was out of the radio business. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so um, so I, I just began to think about, well, what am I good at? And the thing that I was best at at that point was helping people figure out how to market their business. Because I worked with all these different clients at the radio station. I had this perspective of looking at business from all these different industries. And so I decided to just hang out my shingle on the internet uh, as a copywriter and marketing consultant. And I I think God was looking out for me. He hooked me up with the right people in the beginning who began to recommend me to their friends. And it's been a great ride so far. So Sounds yeah. like you had a great ride. So that was what, 2000-something there when you went to Seth's? That was about, I think, 2002 or three because it was right after. I, I remember on that trip I went and looked at Ground Zero. Um, right, and, yeah. Boy, what a somber experience that was. Mm-hmm. Um I went back there recently. It looks <laughs> looks way different now. And so then it was a couple of years for me to make the transition. But in 2005, I just finally decided it's time for me to uh, gracefully exit the radio business. And that's what I did. Right before this whole digital connectivity or digital connectedness kind of became a, a mainstream thing or a utility in some people's minds. Just, you know, it's like electricity and water. It's also the Internet, you know. Yeah, I, I really feel like I got on the wave just as it began to crest. I think it was, what, 2007 when Facebook went public, not just uh, college students, university students, where anybody that was a human being over 13, that is, could uh, sign up for an account. So I remember how horrified my son was. He was in college <laughs> at the time when I, he found out, you're on Facebook? Ew. And that's funny because uh, 
2000, I, I don't think we're going to be able to track back per se to, you know, the first time somebody made a podcast, maybe, but I know we're going to be able to, I know iTunes and I know Apple, they'll make a big deal about, it was 10 years ago today that we added podcasting to iTunes in, I think it was June, 2005. And so we've got about another year and a half till they say that, mark my words. And, uh, that's when I got into it and it was, you know, Cliff got into it back in, well, he was already listening to him, but he started December of, of 2005 that year. And so, and I'm sure he'll come up with a 10 year anniversary thing too. But, uh, when did you start paying attention to podcasts being a, a thing? Cause you were already aware of the power of radio. And so, and like you, I, I did a very, very, very small stint in radio stuff back in college. I was an intern at a radio station and I thought this is cool. But when podcasting hit, I suddenly realized, oh, this is radio, but uh, so much more powerful. So when did, when did you first find out about podcasting? It's interesting because at the time, um, I think it, I, I, I may be wrong about this, but I think it was around 2004 or so that I became aware that uh, Dave Weiner uh, of scripting.com yes. uh, had made some post about how he had figured out, he and Adam Curry had figured out how to deliver MP3 files through an RSS feed. And they were talk, speculating about what this would mean and how we could automatically deliver something like a radio show. And I was fascinated by that. And I actually did a few uh, episodes. I think I have them squirreled away on a hard drive somewhere. So it, the uh, you know the podcast that I'm doing now is not my first attempt at podcasting, but I never was consistent about it, and I never really produced a, a real full-blown show back then. But that's when I first became aware of it. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search. Just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people. Or, at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's awesome. That means you were kind of testing the waters or playing around with it way back when it first started. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, it was a, that was a fascinating time. I was uh, addicted to uh, the daily source code for a while, Adam Curry's so, show. So was I. I, I even said this, I saw Cliff this past weekend and I said, you know, there was this thing about when podcasting was first coming out that had just this, this ham radio-ness to it yes. where it was not all, you know, polish and doom, 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 the show about blah, blah, blah. You know, that like overproduced, not overproduced, I guess professionally produced podcast stuff. I mean, there's a certain amount of professionalism and polish you want to have, but I loved having that just 
hey, this is me and this is my voice and I'm talking and it's one big conversation instead of just, you know what I mean? Like it, it had that feel to it early on. Yeah, I remember Adam doing shows from his car, you know. Exactly, yes. It was just, it did have that, you had the great the, the right explanation or, or analogy. It sounded like ham radio. It was just like guys doing, and ladies doing things that they that, that really enjoyed, something they really enjoyed and were enthusiastic about and experimenting with and kind of pushing the boundaries of that. And that was cool. And, there, you know, there's still that spirit, but we've all kind of elevated our game, uh, taking yeah. it, as Cliff would say. To the next level. To the next level. Although I'm going to say I would consider doing a more slice of life show. I think, and Cliff does this with pursuing a balanced life. I keep me- we got to stop mentioning Cliff anyway. We'll have to let him know. Hey, by the way, you're all over yeah. this episode. Enough already. Because <laughs> it's because we're talking podcasting. That's why. Yeah, of course. Anyway, he does pursuing a balanced life, and that's a, a show where he does that when he's out on a walk. And I think I would consider doing a show like that that was more a give and take. A, you know, here's my thought. Okay, well, we here here we have a voicemail from so and so, like that kind of a low bandwidth produced type show where it's just fly by the seat of your pants and it's interesting conversation. You know, I would consider doing that if it was around the right topic. So this this is just what I need, Eric. Something else to add to my to do list. <laughs> well, we can go beyond that to do list. Of course, this we would. Can. Well, the thing is, is that this would maybe take the place of. It'd almost be like you're overhearing a mastermind group that's ongoing, you know? So what was the impetus for you to start your podcast? Like, why did you decide, well, I'm doing copywriting, and you heard, you know, you heard Cliff doing his show, you heard Michael doing his show. I hadn't done mine yet, so I can't claim a total responsibility there, because you started before I did, on, on solo show at least. What, what made you decide to start the Ray Edwards podcast? Well, I had this desire to be back on the radio, because that was what got me started in that business was actually being on the radio. And I just, I heard Michael's podcast and then I listened to Cliff's podcast. And I would like to tell you that it was a calculated business strategy, but what happened was it was like a Tuesday and I listened to Cliff do an episode and I thought, I can do this. I used to do this for a living, so I'm going to do it. And the next day I posted my first episode and then it was like, well, it seems like the thing to do is do this on a weekly basis. So I guess by next week I need to have another episode. And the next thing you know, I had three or four episodes in the can and I just couldn't stop. And then it became like, I'm not going to break the streak. And, you know, so then I ended up buying a bunch of equipment and every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. (laughs) Uh, I know I just, I love doing the show. And uh, I, like I said, it wasn't a calculated business strategy in the beginning. Here's something interesting that I discovered, Eric, from the very first episode. I started getting a personal connection with people that I never had experienced before in my online business. And I've made a considerable sum of money online and continue to do so. But this element of having a podcast, there's something intimate about being in somebody's ear for 30 or 40 or even an hour uh, every week that I don't think there's any other way to get that kind of intimacy with people. Unless, you know, it's face-to-face, you're sitting in a coffee shop or across the dinner table. There's just a, a connection with people that is different than, I think, anything else you can do online. Yeah, I mean, in a recent interview, uh, I was talking with Mari Smith, and she said something along the lines of no amount of technology is going to replace face-to-face communication. She said that video can be, you know, a next step or next step down. But I almost, and I agree with that to a certain extent, but I also think that 
voice or podcasting itself, audio podcasting specifically, has that power. It has that, you know, you have somebody's voice in your ears and like, you know, because, and if people are, I've had the same thing. I've had the same people where they've come up to me or at in live events or they've, you know, sent me messages. And I don't think them reading a blog post interview transcript is going to do the same impact or have the same driving home the points or connection to the people and the audience and the speakers that, uh, and the topics that listening to an audio podcast would. So you're absolutely right. And you know, if you think about it, most people listen to podcasts while they're exercising or walking or they're on their commute to work and you're really the only input that they're getting at that point. So that's why we have, you know, that's why you, I'm sure, Eric, you, you have people who say, I feel like I know you from your podcast. Yeah, exactly. Well, on your show, you're always, let's get a little more productive here. Little On your show, you're always sharing, you know, tips and tools and all these different things. Why have you, it doesn't sound like that's necessarily something that, uh, at least so far that we've visited in, in your This Is Your Life episode here. Um, <laughs> when did you get involved with productivity? Because when you say you've had 30 years of experience in radio, like that predates, you know, David Allen's getting things done and even the Franklin Covey like buzz of the late 90s, early 2000 something or other era. So how did you kind of discover, oh, productivity? Yeah, I'm all about that. Um, There was um, there was a book. Boy, I wish I could remember the name of this book, but I can't. There, there was some book that I read back in my early days in radio that was called the, the Personal Productivity Plan or the Personal Effectiveness Plan or something like that. And it was, uh, it was one of the precursors to the David Allen or uh, Stephen Covey kind of material. And I read that book. I'm embarrassed I can't remember the name of it because I read it like three times. And I really worked hard to practice the principles that were in it because the radio business was a multitasker's dream because we had so many things going on and everybody wore multiple hats at the radio stations. And I didn't realize it at the time because I didn't have the language for it in those early days, but uh, we had so many different projects that we were conducting all simultaneously. For me, when I discovered Stephen Covey's material, I devoured it. I mean, I was the ultimate Franklin Covey nerd. I had the planner. I went to the seminar. I listened to all the audios. I, you know, everybody got tired of me and my little Franklin Covey planner and how everything had to be captured. And I had the binders. In fact, I still have the binders of years worth of those planner pages. Then I, I discovered David Allen back, I think the first year that he published that book, Getting Things Done. And uh, I became an evangelist for that. I was, I'm sure people got tired of me saying, you should read this book. I've never recovered, Eric. I've just been hooked <laughs> on that stuff ever since then. You've been getting things done ever since. That's correct. Have you read any of the other follow-up books to Getting Things Done? Yes. Uh, Ready for Anything and um, what's, what's the uh, – I can't remember the title of the other book. Oh, gosh. It's escaping me too. Uh, uh, so apparently I need a book on memory. Yes, techniques. yes. But, and I've, I've been implementing the GTD methodology uh, for years now. And, of course, now I'm, it's more technological for me. I'm not one of these paper planner guys. Oh, yeah, no, everything's, uh, everything is, uh, making it all work is the other one. Thanks yes, to Amazon. Making it all work. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all, even though those books are digital, well, those books are digital on Kindle, I guess, but they were, you know, paper when they first came out. And we've moved so much more towards a digital workflow. What's your digital system look like? It's all centered around OmniFocus. 
which I know a lot of people think that's a really complex iteration of GTD, but it's just the, I've tried everything. I've tried, you know, I tried remember the milk and you name the app or the software and I've probably tried it. And I, I tried the paper planner route for a while. Um, I used, uh, uh, notepad was my go to GTD app for some time. And then I used a spiral notebook just because it seemed so countercultural. I thought, well, I'll just use a spiral notebook that I bought for 99 cents at Rite Aid. See how that works. But OmniFocus works for me because it allows me to keep all my lists on all my devices. And I, I sort of think in the way that that software app is modeled. Uh, so it, it works really well for me. And the folks at Omni Software created a great little PDF guide to how to implement GTD using OmniFocus, which was very helpful to me. Yeah, I'm, I know you and I had a conversation online. I think it was through Twitter. I think I was maybe at some point fishing for people to tell me what their favorite tools were. And, and you came out with OmniFocus, and I thought, yeah, I've heard a lot about it, but it, it looks intimidating. I don't know if I can do it. And I have since uh, tried it out a bit. Right now, I'm, I've done a kind of a scaling back of tools that I'm using just to see less about spend less time playing around with tools and more time figuring out what what I actually need to use tools for if that mm. makes sense yeah uh you know what needs capturing where where are the places in my life where things fall through the cracks is there a tool that can grout that crack you know so that's what I've been doing but like yeah gtd if you're a gtd person at all omnifocus is so powerful that you can use that and it, and it fits it like a glove. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's basically what you told me is it's designed to be GTD. Yeah, it is. And I know that uh, David Allen is working with a software company now to develop an official GTD software app, which I'm a little apprehensive about because uh, I don't know, I, I guess I'm just a little skeptical, Yeah, uh, but we'll see. I mean, I'll, I'll take a look at it, but right now I use OmniFocus and then uh, secondarily, I mean, the other tools that I use are, uh, they're not going to be a surprise to anybody. We use Basecamp in my company to manage all of our uh, projects and client projects. I don't take on new clients anymore, but I, I have a couple of people that I have a retainer uh, arrangement with, a royalty arrangement, so we still work with those clients. And um, I use Evernote. I'm just uh, I'm just paging through the apps on my iPhone <laughs> right now to make sure I don't miss anything. I love Evernote, which, again, is going to be no surprise to anybody. I recently have discovered a couple of travel apps because I do quite a bit of traveling to speak and whatnot. And uh, I discovered these through Michael Hyatt. Uh, one is called TripIt. And it it's, um, I don't know about you, but uh, whenever I, if I have a lot of travel coming up, it gets to be kind of onerous to track down all the confirmation emails and, you know, for the airline and the hotel and the car rental. And then I have to figure out, well, what's the password to this site or that site? Well, uh, TripIt, just you forward those emails to a special email address at TripIt, and then on your app on your phone, you just pop it up like I'm going to Jerusalem uh, next week, and all my travel arrangements are there on one page, and I didn't have to do anything other than forward an email to the app. So that's been really helpful. Then I use an app called Expensify to track all my travel expenses within our business, which you know my accountant is kind of a, a bit of a drill instructor about wanting to make sure I've got all that tracked so that again, it's just a matter of I scan in the receipts and it eliminates paper from my life. That's my big mission right now. The other tool that I use a lot is my scan snap scanner from Fujitsu. I'm trying nice. to eliminate all the paper from my life. 
Have you read the uh, book? I forget. It's uh, his username is Max Sparky, but his uh, it's paperless. Have you seen that book before? I have not. I'm looking up his name right now. See, live Googling, that's what people listen to podcasts for. If you go to Max Sparky, M-A-C-S-P-A-R-K-Y dot com, David Sparks of the Mac Power Users, one half of the Mac Power Users hosts. That's a great show, by the way. He has a book right there. When you go there, it's called Paperless, and it's all about going paperless. So... Excellent. Check that out. That will help you, and that's a freebie for the listeners as well. That'll be on my Kindle. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, uh, how, what is your philosophy here? I know you moved from like paper. You know, you were a productivity nerd back in the day, and then you've you've come right along in with the the digital wave of, of doing productivity. What is your philosophy on productivity? Like, in other words, what's your definition of the word productivity? What's your goal behind trying to be more productive? Whatever that means for you. Well, I probably would answer that by saying I'm really after the outcome of being more effective and getting things done, (laughs) if you will, that are aligned with my uh, mission and vision for my life. And I'm I'm working at uh, being less busy and more effective. And to me, um, that's at the root of being successful in life. I I heard a definition of success once from uh, Earl Nightingale, if anybody remembers Earl, who is this deep, rumbling voice on the radio who is like one of the first personal growth gurus, if you will, back in the days of radio. Uh, And he defined success this way. He said, success is the progressive achievement of a worthwhile goal. So that was revolutionary for me because it meant, oh, success is not getting to a destination, it's making progress toward a goal that's worthy of your calling in life. And so, uh, you know, I'm, uh, my, my goal for productivity is not to be productive for productivity's sake. It's to be effective at doing the th- most important things in life. Awesome. And that ends up being a lot of what you share on the show as well as being the spiritually healthy person that I know you, you uh, aim to be and, and help others to be. And I know I benefit from that as well, hearing you talk about that. Let's talk a little bit more. What are, what are some of the things I know that you, you're really good at saying, okay, look, here's a productivity tip that's going to blow your mind, like how to get a week's worth of blog posts done all at once. Like what, how do you crack that nut? Are you asking specifically how you get a week's worth of blog posts done? I am. Share that. <laughs> well, this is the, here's the behind the scenes secret to those kinds of, uh, segments of the show and blog posts that I write. And that is, I believe that the secret to achieving things like that, and I'll answer the question in just a moment, but the secret behind doing anything like that is really we're capable of doing things that would astound ourselves if we just applied ourselves with focus. So the the idea of getting a week's worth of blog posts done in an hour or two, it came to be because I out of necessity, I was getting ready to go on a trip and I had to get a week's worth of blog posts done, and I only had a couple hours to do it in. So for me, it's a matter of shutting off all the distractions, setting the parameters of how much time do I have to do this, whether it's an hour or two hours, uh, or whatever the case may be, and then preparing myself, what is the minimum effective dose, to borrow a phrase from Tim Ferriss, uh, that makes up a blog post? Well, the first thing to think about is, what's our definition of what a good blog post is? It doesn't have to be a super long uh, essay, because Seth Godin seems 
to do just fine posting frequently 150 words or less. Uh, but it's got to be good stuff. So what I'd like to do if I'm going to write a batch of posts, which I do uh, pretty much every week, I sit down and I just come up with the post titles first in a plain text document. And uh, I have those post titles and maybe an outline, a point or two I want to make about each one. And then I sit down and start the timer. I turn off all distractions, turn off my cell phone, close my office door, uh, get focused and start the timer. I use a digital timer on my computer screen. Uh, you could use your iPhone or your watch or if you still wear a watch uh, or, or what have you. And the rule is I have to sit in front of the keyboard or computer or iPad or whatever you're doing your writing on. And I can't do anything but write or sit and stare at the screen. I can't Google things. I can't do Facebook. I can't do Skype chats. That's all turned off. I just have to write or sit there and think about writing. And when you're in that kind of focused, closed-off environment where you have no option but to do the thing you set about doing, it's amazing how quickly you can get that stuff done. And uh, like for me, I am not the world's fastest typist, so I dictate. I use uh, Dragon Dictate software a a lot, a lot. Uh, And I can dictate much faster than I can type, and I can dictate much faster than anybody else can type, unless you can type 200 words a minute. So I crank out those posts very quickly. I don't edit as I'm going along. But then when I'm finished, I go back and clean them up. And there comes a point where I say good enough is good enough. As anybody who reads my blog knows, uh, for people who love to mismatch and find typos and misspellings, I want to provide something for you too. So nice. I have a vast unpaid editorial staff that lets me know when I've made a (laughs) boo-boo. But good enough is good enough. And so just set a timer, set a goal for what you're going to get done, and uh, get to the writing. That's, that's really what it comes down to. And it applies to any uh, focused area of productivity. If you want to write a book, I know people who've been working on their book for seven years, but it's possible to write a book in seven days. And it starts with deciding that it's possible to write a book in seven days and setting those parameters and sitting down and doing the work. I remember you t- saying that. I remember your episode where you said, hey, here's how you knock that out. You record it, and then you run the dictation software. And, it, and, and I, I in- instantly thought, wait a second. I can record audio on my phone while I'm outside walking. So I'm killing the exercise bug as well as uh, the writing when I have it you know, come back into the computer. And then you've basically done a rough draft. Yep, exactly. Uh, exactly. So, uh, I mean, there's, and there's apps that um, are available. There's an app called Copy Talk, C-O-P-Y-T-A-L-K. And uh, the app is free, but you have to pay for the service. I pay about 80 bucks a month for this service. And it was originally invented for physicians uh, and financial advisors who needed to dictate uh, memos. But the way it works is I fire up the Copy Talk app and I can talk for up to four minutes And then when I'm finished, I press a button and it automatically sends that audio file to a live person, a transcriptionist, who transcribes what I just spoke and then sends it back to me in the form of an email. So if I'm on my walk for the day, uh, I have an idea for a blog post or an article or an email I need to send to somebody, whatever the case may be, I simply fire up CopyTalk, I dictate the copy into the app, I press the button, I forget about it. Later that afternoon, I've got the text already typed up in an email ready to go. And it's a lot of those shortcuts or just there's an easier or faster way to do these things so that you don't have to do 
as many things, or at least have as many things filling the time that you have, which is great. Love it. Well, as we're nearing our time ending here together, where can people find you online? What's your preferred method of communication and contact? My home on the web is rayedwards.com. And there's a contact form on there that uh, goes, shh, don't tell anybody this. It goes straight to my inbox. So <laughs> if you if you want to get in touch with me, that's the most reliable way to do it. And Or you can call the, the office phone. Our, our contact information is right there on the website, and it's answered by a, lo- a real person. Uh, we try not to send you through the voicemail matrix unless it's after hours. Uh, so I, I love hearing from people. So reach out and touch me. Well, Ray, it's been awesome talking with you. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. It's been my privilege. Well, that wraps up another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Thanks again to Ray Edwards for stopping by and talking with us this week. Make sure to go check out his show, as well as all the other things mentioned in this show. You will find those links in the show notes for this episode at beyondthetodolist.com slash 49. Yes, 49. Next episode is number 50, and I have something special planned. And I may as well let you know, it's going to be a multiple guest episode where a number of the guests from previous episodes have sat down with me for about five to ten minutes and talked about a specific tool that they can't live without or that they're enjoying. Stay tuned for that. It's going to be awesome. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, theorize over the TV shows Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, and Under the Dome, laugh with our clean comedy, delve into science fiction and philosophy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx.